Hey, Cap fans, Rick and Bob here, and we wanted to reach out to everyone who's been affected by Hurricane Ida. Um, this has been a, uh, for, for many people out there, a devastating um, event. And we just want to let you know that we're thinking of you. Uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are certainly with you. And uh, we hope that you're doing well and you're safe. And we hope that this show uh, maybe brings you a little bit of joy in the meantime. But the other thing, too, is for those out there who, who can help, um, you know, just keep in mind, what would CAP do? And, you know, anything that you could do to help support those who have been affected. Uh, there are great organizations out there that are taking donations, whether it's the Red Cross or the Salvation Army, or maybe even look into what's in your local environment and, and see what you can do there. Uh, you know, just uh, whatever you could do to help, uh, any, any small amount um, certainly would, would go a long way to helping those who have been, um, you know, output by this particular uh, hurricane. Yeah. Rick, you know, I got to tell you, you know, a few years ago, I, I was in that position, right? In 2017, we got hit down here in Florida very, very hard. And lots of folks stepped up. And, and that's just what people do in times like this, right? Communities, individuals, we, we, we step up when, and we become heroes. Uh, we try to anyway, right? And to band together because that's the only way uh, as a community, as a nation, as a people, we get through things like this. So uh, definitely, I encourage everybody to step up and, and be that hero. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Be safe. Hi, this is Tom Brevoort, and you are listening to the Captain America Comic Fans Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and this is episode number 48. It's a special episode. We will get to that in a moment. But uh, before I do, I do want to welcome uh, the best gosh darn co-host out there ever, and that would be Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob? Uh, shucks, Rick. What's a happening, hot stuff? <laughs> you are taking me back to my glorious youth oh yeah <laughs> was what? that was that 16 candles that you were channeling so. there yeah i think so long long duck dong yes <laughs> oh that was a good movie oh boy i don't oh. know who's blushing more me or bob <laughs> oh man good well, stuff yeah, so it is episode 48. Um, we, uh, we're just rocking and rolling here, man. Every Wednesday, new comic day, new podcast day. And um, want to uh, also thank everybody, uh, our, our new patrons of the show, uh, who, uh, who have joined. Um, and uh, I, I think, Bob, uh, people are excited to, to be getting uh, that new Cap Challenge coin in the mail. 
Oh, they better be, Rick. That thing is amazing. It is a, it's a piece, it's a thing of butane. Right. And it's heavy yeah. too, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. 27 grams. I weighed it. Yeah. Like if you, if you're in a situation and, and I hope you never get into a situation mm-hmm. that you can pull that out of your pocket and, and you pay them a, off and you can either pay them off or become a shield slinger yourself because it's that hefty. I'm glad you said shield slinger because we have three levels of being a patron on this podcast. Uh, the first one is Bucky because, you know, 99 cents a month and we appreciate those. Uh, but the four ninety nine a month, which is what the price of a comic book, mm-hmm. um, you get you're the shield slinger, and you get this magnificent coin. I have two of them here. Oh, you hear how that. heavy that is? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know that's pretty sweet, right? It sounds Plus, like the Liberty Bell. That's <laughs> what I imagine the Liberty Bell would sound like. That sounds like freedom. <laughs> uh, so, and not only do you get that, but you also get. Uh, a sneak peek of who our upcoming guests are and you get to submit a question to our guests. So that's a pretty cool level. And then, and then there's the, the ultimate level, which is you get all of that. Plus you get to be a, uh, a guest on our show and pick the topic once a year. And that is uh, what we call our super soldier. So, so those are the, our, our patrons. And uh, so we want to welcome all those who, uh, who have joined recently. We appreciate that. Um, now, the other thing too, uh, Bob, the uh, we had a lot of fun that last episode with uh, our guest, uh, Professor J. Richard Stevens. Oh yeah, I did anyway. I couldn't go to sleep that night, Rick. Well, I, I'm sure you couldn't sleep, Bob, because that is one of your favorite books. It is Captain America: Violence and Masculinity. Don't let the don't let the title fool you, folks. This book is amazing. Yeah, and it was a great conversation mm-hmm. uh, talking. Talking uh, Cap, you know, with a fellow Cap philosopher, uh, it was great. We had a good time. And um, coming up on our next episode, Bob, you know what issue uh, came out a couple weeks ago? It's sitting in my um, my my inbox at my local comic shop. Uh, would it be the United States, the United States, States Captain America. America number three? Yes, Bob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just wanted to like build a little suspense for the listeners. No, no. So number three came out a couple weeks ago. We're going to be covering that in our next episode, which will be number 49. So make sure you come back next week. All right. So let's get to this episode because, um, you know, Bob, we did a top 10 list, top 10 villains, not named the Red Skull. Mm -hmm. We did that back on episode nine. And I know I'm, I'm tired. You're here tired of me saying this. As a marketing guy, I still kick myself in the head. Why did we wait? Why did we not wait for episode 10 to do a top 10 list? I don't know. But anyway, go back to episode nine. Um, It's a fun episode. It's one of our most, most listened to episodes, actually. Um, So it's, you know, it's been a while. I mean, heck, it's been almost 40 uh, episodes since we've done a, a top 10 list. So we thought because we were late in getting around to doing a second one, we're going to do a top 12 list. Mm-hmm. that's you know that's called progress it is and so bob came up with this topic and, and bob when you pitched this to me i said that is a so-so idea but we have nothing else going on so let's do it yeah and that's really the best response i've ever gotten from you for any of my ideas so <laughs> no i think it's a great idea uh and i even loved it even more that you did all the research on this one 
Um, because possible deniability. I love it. Yes. Uh, it's the top 12 Captain America origin retcons and embellishments. So what, what Bob was thinking was, you know, after we, we do a lot of reading cap comics to do research for this podcast, it's, it's a hard job if someone has to do it. And, and when we're going through these, we are like, huh, that's slightly different. And uh, Bob notices this and he starts making notes. And next thing you know, he's going to be writing a book about this. Uh, but Bob, tell us a little bit about uh, the top 12 Captain America origin retcons and embellishments. Yeah. Well, Rick, like you said, you know, we, we come across these things, right? And, uh, you know, if there, there's, there's usually a handful of topics, right, in the Facebook group that uh, can be counted on to spark, let's just call it some lively debate. Yes. And one of those things is invariably any sort of perceived change or uh, even like even an embellishment to uh, Cap's origin story. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we all know, you know, dates all the way back to Captain America Comics number one by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. You know, except, except Rick, that origin story was really pretty skeletal and, and didn't really tell us a lot about Steve Rogers or Captain America. And so a lot of meat has been added to the bones, if you will, over the last 80 years. And some things have been changed from that original telling. In fact, a lot of things have changed over time. So, um, you know, I don't, I haven't counted them all, but certainly I looked at a lot of different origin stories, uh, you know, retellings, flashbacks, you know, dozens of them. And this is just in the main continuity, right? I'm not even mm-hmm. talking about all the, all the one shots and miniseries that are out there. So Cap's origin has been told a lot. So I thought, you know, for this episode, it might be fun to look at 12 elements, let's say, of the Captain America origin story that have changed over time in some way. Well, this is going to be fascinating because uh, I agree. Um, it is, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of us comic fans, you know, we don't like change as much. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of us go back to you. If you ask anybody, well, what was your favorite artist or favorite writer? And it typically goes back to the one we grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we have that uh, nostalgia, uh, it, the power of nostalgia. And so, um, yeah, we, uh, you know, we don't necessarily are fond of change. So this is going to be interesting to see all the nuances that Bob picked up on uh, around the origins. Now, I, I, I want to say, Bob, you're very eloquent. Uh, I loved your metaphor about uh, it was a very skeletal origin in Captain America comics, number one. And there's there's more meat on the bone now. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I got a little visual in my head and, uh, it wasn't the red skull. <laughs> nice. It was hard for me to say because, you know, I'm vegan. So, uh, yeah, but you know, I thought that would be good for the listener because, Hey, that's really, that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about how, you know, we've, we've touched on this with a number of different guests over time, including Tom Bravort and, and several others that, you know, the mythos changes over time, right. And addition, you know, accretions are added to the mythos and that's what gives it the, the sort of texture and like the, it's, you know, the aroma of, of cap, right. Is that it's all this complexity. It's like a fine wine, you know, over time it ages and the bouquet of Captain America becomes more complex and sophisticated. Yes. Thank you. 
I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on accretions. Um, all right. So let's get to the first one. Uh, hold on, Rick. But I, I gotta, I gotta put, I, I, you know, I gotta put a little, a little pin, a little caveat out there, right? Okay. So as you said, you know, I did a little digging, right? I mean, over the last week or so, I've been trying to like uh, dig a little bit, and you know, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna guarantee hundred uh, percent that uh, I haven't missed something. So I want to challenge the podcast listeners out there that, that if, you know, if there's a mistake in here, you let us know either on the Facebook group or call in, uh, leave a message and uh, let us know, let me know, because, you know, Rick, Rick's got plausible deniability. Let <laughs> me know how I screwed up and, uh, and we'll do a correction uh, in the Facebook group. So. All right. All right. Well, well, we know our, uh, our listeners are not shy about uh, letting us know how they feel. So and we, we love that about you. All right, Bob, let's get started. Number one, what was the name of the project that gave the world Captain America? All right, Rick. Well, I mean, this one's an obvious one, right? I mean, we all know if, there, if there's two phrases that any Cap fan knows, it's, it's Project Rebirth, right? Sometimes Operation Rebirth. And the second one, the Super Soldier Formula. But Rick, those two names weren't part of the original origin stories covered in either Captain America Comics number one back in 1941, Captain America Comics 59, which came out in 1946, or the attempt to relaunch Captain America and Young Men 24, which came out in 1953. In fact, it wasn't until Tales of Suspense 63 hit the spinner rack in 1964 that we first come across the name Operation Rebirth. In this retelling, we read that that title was first uttered by FDR himself in the Oval Office in the company of two, as yet, Rick, unnamed generals. Mm. We'll get to that one in a little oh, bit, right? Foreshadowing. Yep, yep. But later, when those generals and a, quote, high-ranking intelligence agent, unquote, pass through the curio shop, they have to utter a secret passphrase. Remember, remember there was mm -hmm. that disguised woman there and mm -hmm. she wasn't going to let him pass until they uttered the passphrase. And do you remember what that passphrase was? Rebirth shall occur this night. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you know, for those of us, um, that didn't start reading comics in the, in the forties, um, we, most of us probably didn't know that Operation Rebirth didn't come around until until 1964. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's mentioned in the in the Golden Age. So I mean, prove me wrong. Could be, could be one of those issues I, I skimmed through and didn't see. But I don't think we hear that until the Silver Age. Interesting. And also, what's a curio shop? Interesting, isn't it? Uh, uh, you're curious. I, I, see. I see. Yeah, you know, it, you know, in some instances, it's referred to as an antique shop, but a curio isn't necessarily an antique, right? It's curiosities, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting items that uh, you might want your home, you might want to give as a gift, maybe a white elephant or something. I don't know. Um, that's what a curio shop is. Okay. All right. Yeah. This This podcast is... Uh, not only fun and entertaining, but it's informational, educational. <laughs> it's Thank like you. Sesame Street, really but is. about cap. Yeah. Menomina. All right. Number two. Number two. But what about the super soldier formula? When was that magic elixir first named? 
Right. Well, that's another great question, Rick, right? Because as I just said, you know, we didn't hear Operation or Project Rebirth until uh, Tales of Suspense in 1964. So what about this super soldier formula? I mean, this has been like a core element of the Captain America mythos, right? But again, those words were never uttered in an original Golden Age Captain America origin story, nor in any of the retellings, you know, later, you know, whether it's even up to Young Men 24. In fact, it wasn't even mentioned, Rick, in the Tales of Suspense 63 that came out uh, in the early 60s when we first heard Operation Rebirth. The first time that we read anything even close to super soldier formula was when it was uttered by uh, the Nazi agents um, that were, uh, and this includes, right, the assassin that was going to eventually shoot Dr. Erskine. Heinz Kruger. Uh, Heinz Kruger, right? Yeah. Uh, They refer to it as Project Super Soldier. So now we're getting something close, right? We've got the Super Mm -hmm. Soldier. And that was in Captain America 109, which came out, what, 1968. But you know what? It wasn't until, this is going to blow your mind, Rick. It wasn't until Captain America 176. What? Yeah, published in 1974, that we read for the first time the actual words, Serum of the Super Soldier. And it wasn't until, again, hold on to your seat, Rick, Captain America 215 in 1977, that we at last see the words super soldier serum in print in that particular order. Okay. You know, you, you, you take certain things for granted, right? So you, you, you project uh, operation rebirth, project rebirth, and super soldier serum you figure these have been around forever bob you're 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 blowing my mind here i know right i mean this is just the beauty of how like the legend and the mythos builds over time and it gets richer and deeper and more complex Mm -hmm. yeah we have to embrace it embrace the sophistication rick (laughs) okay so (laughs) all right so speaking of super soldier all right uh let's get to number three Mm. Is Captain America a super soldier or is he a super agent? Ah, yeah, this is a tricky question, Rick, right? I mean, it sounds nonsensical, right? I'm like, well, of course he's a super soldier, right? We've got the super soldier formula. But as we just learned, Rick, the super soldier uh, serum, super soldier formula, those, those didn't come along until much, much later. At least they weren't described as such. But in the first origin story, Steve Rogers was described. Now, remember, this is Captain America Comics number one in 1941. He was described as becoming, but the first of many, quote, super agents, rather than explicitly a super soldier. His mission, after all, if you remember at this time, at least as it was described in, uh, by Simon and Kirby, was to become the first of a core of super agents who would be, quote, a terror to spies and saboteurs. Now, this makes sense, right, Rick? I mean, if you're considering what was going on at the time and we hadn't entered World War II yet and everybody was worried about spies and saboteurs. So by the time, uh, what, five years later when Captain America Comics 59 hits the newsstands, right? Erskine's language changes a bit. And, and it's because it's reflecting now what has happened. It's right in the history that's already unfolded. So consequently, Rogers was by then described as the intended first of many with the ability to become 
not a terror to spies and saboteurs, but a terror to the axis. Mm -hmm. But again, we see a little bit of a change over time. So by when we get to Tales of Suspense 63, the language shifts again. And Erskine now describes Rogers not as a super agent, but as the first of an army of fighting men, such as the world has never seen. Now, there's one exception to sort of how this thing has been sort of evolving, and that's Captain America 176 again, which is, you know, has an origin story that adds a lot to the mythos. Mm -hmm. And it reverts back to the original mission statement from Captain America Comics number one. The latter description, um, the one about the super soldier and the fighting man who will uh, uh, defend the shores and, and be a terror to the Axis, that is the one that's been codified. So when you look at, for example, Marvel saga, uh, the, the official history of the Marvel universe, mm -hmm. that's what's described. Uh -huh. So he's a super soldier now, but he wasn't always a super soldier. You know, that's interesting. So basically in 1941, so merely five years later, merely five years later, there's a little bit of a, not a retcon, but a, a change. Yeah, right. A right. little emphasis, right? I mean, it yeah. kind of made a little bit of a change there. Yeah. Um, so, and it so makes here, sense, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to me because, you know, in the, we always think of, okay, Stanley, Jack Kirby, they did a retcon to bring Cap into the 60s, you know, as a man out of time. So they, they, they kind of retconned him, right? And then Steve Englehart comes and, he does some retconning with uh, what, who was the, the Captain America of the 1950s. And then he retcons uh, the Sam Wilson's origin story. Right. So, so we're getting these, these changes and, and we always kind of think of, Oh yeah, these happen much later, but no, 1941 mm -hmm. and 1946, there's always already these slight changes that are going on. Right. That is pretty cool. Yeah, well, right from the get-go, right? I mean, because they got to appeal to who the audience is at the time. And uh, the audience at the time wasn't, isn't, wasn't interested in what was going on before the war. They, you know, they were, the, the war was what was still sort of familiar to them. So it, right. it made sense. Hmm. So we could be calling him today uh, Captain America Super Agent. Sure. And, right? and he kind of was for a while. Right. And some of uh, like for this, uh, they call it Steve Rogers, super soldier. But in fact, he was more of a, a, a secret agent in that in that miniseries. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. he was he was he was going after those uh, spies and saboteurs. Yeah. A lot of those stories involved that. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to the super soldier formula. OK, mm -hmm. so you mentioned that. Um, but I have to ask. Who created it, right? Because we see, you know, uh, you mentioned Erskine, right? Mm -hmm. But we also some, sometimes seen it as Reinstein, right? Right. Yeah. And so, um, who is it? Yeah. Who who created the super soldier formula, Rick? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Was it Reinstein or Erskine? That's the yeah. question, Bob. Yes. That is that is the question. But as we know now, the answer is both, right? So, you know, thanks to uh, Captain America 255, which is, I, I think, I think we can all agree, it's probably like the seminal Captain America origin story that uh, most of us turn to. I, uh, I, yeah, I would say so, especially those of us of a certain age. Right. right? right. Just, in, just in terms of the level of detail. 
Yeah, I, yeah, because you got Roger Stern and John Byrne. That era was well beloved. You know, this is what nineteen eighty, maybe eighty one, something mm-hmm, like that, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a seminal yeah. origin story. Yeah. Well, that book, that that origin story was was so critical for trying to resolve this issue because it wasn't always clear. In fact, it wasn't clear at all up until Captain America two fifty five came out because we see. Reinstein and Erskine almost used interchangeably across the previous decades. So like, remember back in Captain America comics, number one, and even in Captain America comics, 59 and young men, 24, the doctor who administers the super soldier serum at the time was referred to as Dr. Reinstein. But in the first silver age telling of the cap origin story in tales of suspense 63, he's called by a different name. He's called Erskine only to go back to Reinstein by the time we get to Captain America Comics 109 and 176 for that matter, before returning again to Erskine in Captain America, uh, what was it, 215, right? right so, so I'm confused. Well, Rick, I think, I, I, think, I think you're right to be confused. I think a lot of people were confused, including Jack Kirby. Remember, he was one of the two guys that, that came up with Captain America Comics, right? What was it, 23 years before that? And I think legend has it that he said that he simply forgot the name. Now, what was curious is that, uh, you know, this was seemed like a pretty big deal to try to relaunch the Captain America uh, character, right? In the 1960s, you think Stan Lee, who was, you know, writing on that book, might have done a little editorial research and gone back and figured out what the what actually happened in Captain America comics number one, but. Whether he did or not, it's uh, it's been lost time. What we do know, however, is that um, with the publication of giant-sized Invaders number one, we get the lowdown on the discrepancies. And in that issue, we learn that Reinstein is in fact a code name meant to protect the identity of Dr. Erskine, who the world thinks has died in a car crash. So he, Erskine, of course, is a world famous, famous biochemist, and he's the one that later we learned was smuggled out of Germany, and he's responsible for the super soldier serum. Now, what's interesting, and we covered this when we, we talked about uh, uh, truth, red, white, and black, right? Do you remember that? Do you remember the guy oh, that yeah. was in charge of the super soldier program for mm-hmm. uh, the black soldiers? Do you remember his name? Reinstein. Exactly. So apparently this code name Reinstein was given to whoever was in charge, perhaps, of um, the super soldier program. Uh, and he took it when Erskine died. So we got that sorted out. So thanks to Giant Size Invaders number one and uh, in Captain America 255, we now have a definitive answer for all that confusion. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, forgetfulness. It was hmm. uh, it was spycraft. So, giant size invaders number one that came out. There was came out in seventy five. It and, did, and um, the uh, the writer was Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. So we have him to thank for explaining yeah. that to us. Yeah, and you know, you know, he was a big fan of the Golden Age, right? Uh, famously so. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that guy, uh, he he knew he knew the discrepancy and and found a way to fix it. All right. So we're on the subject of the super soldier serum as well. So what exactly is this the super soldier serum? This is number number five on our, our top twelve list. All right. Well this is uh you know this is 
to me, this is fascinating, right? Because if you ask five different people, you're probably going to get three different answers, right? So, um, you know, in the original origin story, we see Dr. Erskine, now, of course, at this time, known as Dr. Reinstein, inject Steve with a hypodermic needle, right? That's how he administers the serum. And we see that again five years later in Captain America Comics 59. But by the time we get to Young Men 24, and of course, we, we know that this has been retconned, right, by Englehart and... Mm -hmm. But in any case, in Young Men 24, uh, it's become not one, but a series of hypodermic injections that are required to administer the, 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 the serum. Yet by the time we get to Tales of Suspense 63, the serum is no longer an injectable. It's an oral solution, right? It's an oral formula. Now, why, why would this be? You know, many people have, uh, have uh, suggested that that shift was precipitated by the Comics Code Authority, right? That didn't want to show uh, injectable drugs in comics at that time, and that may be that may be true. But so, so for those listening that may not be familiar with the Comics Code Authority, because they they have not been around for a little while, um, this was something that was established um, many 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 decades ago um, to quote unquote protect right, the youth um, with uh, various topics to make sure that it was, um, you know, all ages friendly, you know, for, for kids, basically, right? And so the Comics Code Authority, if you had any kind of severe uh, violence, um, anything that was suggestive sexually, uh, you had drug use, alcohol use, things like that, um, it was like, that was a no-no. And uh, you wouldn't get this little code that was printed on the cover of the book approved by the Comics Code Authority. So um, I, so, so that's basically what Bob's talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. So the injectable uh, serum, which could be seen as kind of a hypodermic for recreational drugs, um, that's a no-no. So that's that's one of the possible reasons that they switched from injection back in the uh, early 60s to to an oral. Yeah, I mean, it sounds plausible, right? I mean, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But but by the time we get to Captain America 109, four years later, they're trying to find that they realize that, whoa, there's something askew here, right? They got to make they got to bridge this uh, and find a way to. Uh, to like plug this hole in the storyline. And so the way they do that is we learn in 109 that Steve Rogers had been previously ejected with, uh, injected with Erskine's secret serum prior to being given the oral version. All right, so what do we got here? Already we got in the early comics, there's the injectable the super soldier serum, mm -hmm. Tales of Suspense, we've got the, uh, the oral version. 109, we've got the injectable and the oral together. But what else do we get in 109? What other sort of embellishment to this uh, super soldier formula do we hear about for the first time? I know, I know. Lay it on me, Rick. It's the Vita Rays. Yeah, it's the Vita Rays, right? So that's the first time that we ever hear about Vita Rays. It hadn't been discussed in any of the previous origin retellings. So we've got three components. And so in Captain America 176, we actually see Steve receive... Uh, the injection before the Vita Rays, but we don't see him actually taking the oral serum. And in 215, we see Steve taking the oral serum without the injection or the Vita Rays. So it's still a little bit confusing, 
But once again, who comes to the rescue? Roger, Roger Stern. Stern. Roger Stern, because in Captain America 255, for the first time, we actually see all three components, the injection, the oral serum, and the Vita rays described. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's some research there, man. I got to yeah. tell you, it's impressive. So, you know, it's funny. Do you think back in 1977, when Captain America 215 came out, do you think there were a couple of comic book nerds sitting around the uh, the local uh, drugstore where they got their comics, and in 1977 were like, "No, no, that ain't right, man. That ain't yeah. right. Yeah, no, where, where's <laughs> where's the injection? Yeah, yeah. this right? is wrong. Yeah, because and and where's the where's the Vita rays? You know, so uh-huh. you think uh, you think you were debating this back then? Oh, you know they were. You know they were, Rick. All right. Yeah. All right, so let's get to number six. We're halfway through, almost. Um, so, Bob, let's get back uh-huh. to Operation Rebirth. All right. You, you mentioned something about, you, you had a little foreshadowing earlier uh, about unnamed generals and things like that. Right. Who was in charge of All Operation right. Rebirth? Yeah. Now, this is, this is like, this, is a, this one blows my mind, right? Um, you know, and it's, we'll talk about this, I think, at the end. We'll talk about uh, why Captain America comics can be so different on a number of different uh, topics from subsequent tellings of the origin. But this is like a really, really interesting one, right? So it's clear that Dr. Erskine was the lead scientist behind the formulation of the super soldier serum. But like, who did he work for, right? I mean, that's kind of an important thing, right? Everybody worked for somebody, you know, everybody's working for the man. So there's always a certain number of, uh, of players in the story whenever Cap's origin story is told. But in the original story, the original origin telling in Captain America Comics number one, it's clear that the guy running the show, it wasn't General Phillips, and it certainly wasn't Dr. Erskine. Um, it, instead, it was a guy by the name of J. Arthur Grover. Uh, and he was identified at the time as the director of the FBI. Super now there were- Grover. <laughs> That's, that's exactly what I thought of when uh, I, I read that name, right? right? Yeah, he's my favorite, very, very favorite blue monster. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> oh, it took me off my, uh, off, my, uh, off my stride there. But in any case, so if you recall, in Captain America Comics number one, there's two unnamed military officers in the Oval Office talking with uh, FDR, right? And neither one of them, it's clear, know anything about this uh, this program uh, that FDR is talking mm-hmm. about, right? So they're introduced to this J. Arthur Grover, the director of the FBI, who takes them to Erskine's lab behind the curio shop, right? And of course, things unfold the way we expect it to unfold. But in that telling, it's not just Erskine that's shot and killed, right? It's it's J. Arthur Grover, the head of the FBI, for crying out loud. So when he took him to the curio shop. Mm-hmm. Did, did J. Arthur Grover, did he, did he say, here? <laughs> and then, did he go over to the curio shop and went, there? <laughs> oh, oh, that's did a good he, one, Rick. Did he come back? All right, all right, Rick. Uh, put the drink down. Here. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry. <laughs> All right. So Grover is just along with Erskine, Grover's shot. And we never, ever hear about Grover again, right? Because by the time, like we're not, he's not seen either in, in Captain America Comics 59, not seen Young Men 24. And by the time we get to Tales of Suspense 63, FDR is talking to the two, two military personnel and he's asking them about the progress of Operation Rebirth. So it's clear that they're in the know at this point, right? And the FBI is not involved anymore. In fact, it's now a military intelligence officer, a guy by the name of Dr. Murray Anderson, who enters FDR's office to inform everyone that the super soldier serum is now perfected and ready to be used. And it's at that point that he escorts the two military uh, personnel to the curio shop and, and, and the origin story unfolds as we're familiar with it. So Grover's nowhere to be seen, right? He's gone. So why is that, Rick? Why? I'll tell you why. I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a theory. You want to hear it? Yes, let's hear All your right. theory, Bob. All right. So, of course, J. Arthur Grover, who does it sound like? J. Edgar Hoover, right? And yeah. Hoover was the director of the FBI, started in 1924. I think he served up to like 1972. During World War II, Hoover was a, was a pretty popular guy. And I got to tell you, uh, by the time they got to the late 50s and early 60s, and the whole uh, everything that was going down with the McCarthy mm -hmm. hearings and the un-American activities and Hoover's shenanigans, he was certainly far less popular at that point. And I, I think, you know, that just probably wouldn't have been palatable to maybe call comics readers. And, and they just wrote him out of the script um, and, and changed the direction of the comics. So to answer your question, who, who was in charge? Well, it depends on what Captain America origin story in which era you're talking about. I get to pick my own. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? I got to tell you, I am learning so much. Uh, this is great research. <laughs> you're hurting? No, I said learning. I'm oh, learning I thought you so said much. you're hurting so much. I was like, I wish I could give you a hug, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is, this is great. This is, uh, this is cool stuff. All right. So you mentioned uh, General Phillips, mm -hmm. right? Uh who the, who the heck is General Phillips? All right. All right. Now, you know, anybody who has seen, uh, you know. No, wait, that, that's number seven, by the way. Yeah, number, number seven. seven. All right. It's, you know, General Phillips, right? General Chester Phillips is uh, sort of so ubiquitous in what we know about Captain America, Captain America today that we take it for granted that he's always been around. And in fact, we see military officers present going all the way back to 1941. And so you would think that, you know, of all the characters, Steve Rogers, Dr. Erskine, and General Phillips, those three are like the three core characters. But in fact, you know, we don't even learn Phillips's name until Giant Size Invaders came out in 1975. That's the first time that we learn that this, uh, this general, apparently, his last name is Phillips. Prior to that, in all the previous retellings, um, he'd been unnamed. And in fact, in, in Captain America Comics 109, they demoted the poor guy to Colonel. So we know he's Phillips, right? 1977, finally, somebody has named this guy. Uh, but we don't even learn his first name until 1998 with uh, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number two. Wow, 57 yeah. years later. Right. 
we learn that it's Chester Phillips. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's it. We're done, right? It's Chester Phillips. Che well, you would think that. And that's, of course, what the, the official Marvel index, right? Comics index, Marvel history. They all refer to him as uh, General Chester Phillips. But eh, one little little uh, outlier, and that was Captain America Annual 2000. Do you remember that one, Rick? Do you remember? Uh, that's yes. a great cover, right? Yes. Is that the... Proto-side. Oh, right? yes. That Dan yeah. Yes, that great cover. Like, yeah. you know, who will be, and he's got, be worthy? And he's got the, uh, the heater shield, right? Right. And then it's got like the shared cover between Steve Rogers and Captain America and Clinton McIntyre, who became Protoside. Mm -hmm. It's a great, great cover. It's a pretty good story, too. In fact, there's a couple of good stories in that, in that annual. So but Chester in that, Phillips is in there? Well, General Phillips is. But for some reason, they call him Richard Phillips in that particular uh, annual. What? So it's an outlier. And uh, it certainly is. Uh, it's It's not considered canonical, right? Because... Everybody else and all the other uh, authoritative sources call him Chester, which is a much nicer name. I like Chester. It sounds friendlier. <laughs> you do realize my real name is Richard, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to call you Chester from now on. That's all oh, right. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bob. All right. Number eight. Um, Let's go back to that, uh, the cheese shop. And, uh, <laughs> what you call it? The, the cheese, cheese shop? shop. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. Money Python, right? Yeah, all right. right. The curio shop. The curio the, shop. The curio um, shop. So who were the other characters who we see pass through the shop that are witnesses to Steve Rogers' transformation? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a great question, right? Because uh, that curio shop is it's always been a centerpiece of Cap's origin story, right? Going all the way back to Captain America Comics 1. And there's always a few characters, right? We know there's Steve Rogers. We know that there's Dr. Erskine slash Reinstein. We know that the military officers eventually, one of them is identified as, as General Chester Phillips. Uh, those are those are the cast of characters, right? But there's there's some other characters that are important that uh, that pop up from time to time. And the first, of course, is the Nazi assassin himself, right? So in the original origin story from Captain America Comics number one, we don't know the name of the assassin. In fact, we're led to understand that he has infiltrated the US Army uh, as a spy. And we see him as one of the two uniformed, unnamed military officers in the Oval Office with FDR at the beginning of the story. Uh, and then uh, he gets escorted with the other officer by J. Arthur Grover into Erskine's lab. And after he witnesses uh, the success of, the, of Steve Rogers' transformation, he pulls out a gun, shoots the doctor, and shoots Grover um, before he is killed by, by Steve Rogers. You got to stop calling him just Grover because I'm, I'm visualizing <laughs> poor Grover getting shot. <laughs> I know that is an unpleasant, uh, unpleasant. Right? Yeah. Hmm. In fact, I think when you, when perhaps you post this, uh, rather than the standard picture, you should have a picture of Grover. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, uh, so the same drama plays out again in Captain America comics 59, but of course, without Grover. <laughs> Chester. 
who by this point is no longer depicted in the story, right? So by the time we, uh, we get to Tales of Suspense 63, the Nazi assassin, still unnamed, here's an interesting change, Rick. Mm-hmm. He, he's not one of the two officers that was in FDR's uh, office that gets escorted. He's already in Erskine's lab. Right. And there's two other folks that are escorted in. One of them, of course, ends up being a General Phillips. But there's the second individual who remains unnamed for the time being. And of course, we learn much, much later. In fact, we learn in in way much later, 1980, with Captain America 255, that the second official that is accompanying General Phillips is Undersecretary of the Army Sims. So that's a complete difference, right, mm. from, from the earlier tellings. But anyway, back to Kruger. So once we get to Captain America, Captain America 109, the details of Kruger start to get filled in a little bit, right? We get the, we get the back, back story of this Nazi assassin. We learn his name. It's Heinz Kruger. We learn that he's been smuggled ashore in a submarine and provided with forged credentials that allows him to access Erskine's lab in advance. But again... It's Stern's glorious Captain America 255 that continues to fill in some of the gaps. And in that retelling, we learn that Heinz Kruger is, in fact, he's he's assumed the forged identity of a Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, special agent by the name of Clemson. And it's that credential that gives him access to the Operation Rebirth demonstration. So I think, you know, one of my favorite mini stories, and I didn't, we're not going to talk about it here, but it's, it's the Marvel's project. Uh, oh, I think great. it was like yeah. eight issues, right? And yeah. we get, we get, I think it's issues, uh, maybe uh, two, three, four, maybe even five. We get a big part of the backstory behind Heinz Kruger and how he got in place and how we got Clemson's credentials all the way leading up to, uh, to the assassination of Erskine. So, so anyway, short, long story short, Heinz Kruger is a very central uh, person in this drama, going all the way back to Cap, Cap Number One, right? But, but as we see it with the other characters, originally unnamed, and the story changes a little bit, the positioning changes a little bit over time until we get to what we all accept now as sort of the canon, right? But it hasn't always been the canon, Rick. That's true. That's true. Wow. All right. That's I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna need like a map. I'm, I got, you know, like all the stuff that I'm learning here, I mean, it's, I, I kind of need like a visual of, you know, some, some diagram of some sort, uh, a little mind map. Yeah. 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 Like, this is, like a conspiracy theorist, you know, got it up on your garage wall. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, for, for, for the listeners out there who have not read the Marvel's project, um, you really should check that out. It came oh. out, uh, 2008. And if you love, the volume five of Captain America by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. Well, guess what? Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting did the Marvel's project. So yeah, you, can't uh, beat you, it. you should really check that out. All right. Number nine, getting back to the cheese shop <laughs> is who is X 13 or, or is it agent R? Oh, Rick, here's another one of those, uh, at least for me anyway, one of those enduring mysteries. I know for a lot of folks, um, they have decided, you know, on this one, right? And, and if you go to Marvel fandom, even they are uh, somewhat assured of who the identity of, of this mysterious agent is from the curio shop. But I don't know, there's still a couple holes that, that need to be filled, uh, to my satisfaction anyway. So 
who are we talking about here, right? We're talking about uh, back in Captain America comics number one, we see that that old lady, right, in the curio but shop. She wasn't an old lady, Bob. She uh, took off that mask and she was a young hottie. Come on, Rick. You're supposed to say spoiler alert for those oh, who haven't sorry. read any of these yet, right? Sorry. So, um, yeah. Now, there seems to be quite a bit of consensus that uh, this agent from the curio shop was. Betty, they're sometimes called Betsy Ross, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a special agent, uh, a special employee, I should say, of the FBI. Um, and she showed up in a lot of, uh, of Captain Bucky's earliest adventures, right? Even in Captain America Comics number one, she was in a couple of adventures and subsequent issues uh, in the Simon and Kirby run. And she later went on to become Golden Girl and she married Jeff Mace, the, the, mm-hmm. the patriot who became the third Captain America. And, um, you know, great character, right? Um, and I think she was in, what was it, the, uh, one of the more recent Ant-Man stories, right? She was living in a retirement home, running a retirement home down in Florida. It's a, that's a great, great story, too. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, oh, but it, it it, yeah, it was, it was, it's a great story. Um, but in any case, uh, whether or not Betty was the old lady, uh, this agent in the curio shop, was never actually explicitly acknowledged anywhere in the Golden Age comics, Although I have to say, in the first adventure, when Cap and Bucky run into her, she's described as a beautiful but familiar girl. So maybe that's meant to signal that, in fact, uh, Betty Ross was uh, this this secret agent from the curio shop. Now, I think a lot of the confusion uh, rests on this inconsistent use of Agent X-13 and Agent R um, to describe that lady in the curio shop, right? So in Captain America comics number one, she's referred to as Agent X-13. But again, by Tales of Suspense 63, Kirby and Lee's memory are playing tricks again. And uh, the, curio, the, the, the curio shop guard is called Agent R. What? So what? yeah, right? So she, uh, she remains unnamed when we see her again in Captain America 109 and in Captain America 176. But by the time we get the giant-sized invaders, she's called Agent R, as she is in uh, Captain America 255. Now, oddly enough, in nearly every retelling of the origin story, including the original, this agent is always depicted as a raven-haired beauty under the disguise, right? So this mm-hmm. jet black hair, it's always colored that way consistently. Mm-hmm. But in giant-sized invaders number one, when she pulls off the mask and the wig, she is a beautiful blonde, just like Betty Ross. So perhaps Roy Thomas, who, as you pointed out, was a big fan of the Golden Age and knew his stuff. He did his research. Maybe he was trying to make this explicit connection more obvious than it had ever been. Hmm. Still, still, Rick. You know, I, I, I like to I like I want to connect the dots. Right. And I'm not completely satisfied because what storyline throws a curveball for everybody, right? It's Captain America 218 that came out. Uh, when did it come out? Like 1978, something like mm-hmm. that, yep. right? Do you remember Veda from the corporation? Veda. Mm-hmm. Veda, right? She's only in a couple issues, but she shows up and she shows Steve a photo of her long dead mother. And Steve immediately recognizes her as being the woman he saw referred to as Agent R. Now, Veda ends up getting killed, I think, by Moonstone, right, in the next issue. And we never, you know, hear about her again. But Fury gives that photo to Dum Dum Dugan and says, hey, look into this. 
Mm -hmm. And we never hear anything about it again. So uh, I don't know, right? Never solved. The puzzle was never, ever solved. All right. Future Captain America writer. Here is a, uh, a little uh, breadcrumb for you to follow up on. I uh, can't believe this is a uh, been a loose end all yeah, these years. Somebody's right? got to tie, tie this 40 one up. years. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Maybe it was one of those implanted memories, you know, I, I don't know. I don't remember, but, uh, but yeah, that's somebody's got to, somebody's got to pinch that one off. Okay. All right. You can get to work. If you're listening, dumb, dumb, get to work, man. Yeah. He's too busy smoking a stogie. <laughs> Number 10. So Steve Rogers, Operation Rebirth. Who picked Steve Rogers? Yeah. Who indeed. Right. Uh, you know, when we first see, see Steve uh, Rogers in Captain America Comics number one, and in, in 59, he's already in Erskine's lab. And we're simply told that he had previously been deemed unfit for enlistment into the military. That same 98 pound weakling. Yeah, right. He's just, he, you know, he's sickly and, uh, and, and weak. And that same scenario is presented again in Tales of Suspense 63. We don't see Steve until he's walking into Erskine's lab on the big day. Finally, Captain America Comics 109, we get to see Steve at the recruiting office getting medically screened. And then we see him declared unfit for service. And that's when we see him get pulled aside by a military officer, this unnamed colonel at the time who looks a lot like General Phillips. And, and later, as we find out, most likely was General Phillips. Or Colonel Phillips, right? Right. But, well, yeah, that's a good point. But he'd been referred to as a general in previous, right? In Tales of Spent 63. So I don't know what's going on. But in any case, he asked Steve if he'd be willing to be a, a human guinea pig in a deadly experiment. And remember, this is in Captain America 109. That's, that's quite an offer. Um, so, but, but interestingly, in that telling, Rip, it seems like Steve is almost immediately brought into the room, introduced to Dr. Erskine, and then taken away to the hidden laboratory behind the curio shop where he undergoes his now famous transformation. All, it seems, within a matter of hours. And the same- We don't, we don't need time for, for backstory and filling it up, right? Yeah, right, right. Get yeah. right to the, right to the, uh, right. the, the main action. Exactly, right? So the same scenario plays out again in Captain America 176. The whole process appears to take place within a single day. Again, right? Who, who, who comes to the rescue and sort of fleshes this out for us? Roger Stern, right. Captain America 255, right? In his retelling, we see that it is indeed General Phillips, now explicitly named so, pulling Steve aside after his rejection from the, from the army doctors to ask him if he'd be interested in serving, right. To volunteering to serve his country. And then we, this is when we read that Steve is soon put on a plane and flown uh, from New York where the induction office is down to Washington, DC to meet Dr. Erskine uh, in his lab. Now here's the thing, right? Cause none of the other previous stories had sort of made this connection that FDR's Oval Office, of course, is in Washington, D.C., and the military officials get escorted over to Erskine's mm -hmm. lab. But Steve's in New York City, right? That's where he grew up. So uh, nobody made this connection before until Stern did, that they actually had to get him 
from the recruiting office in New York City down to Washington, D.C. So he, he, he does a good job filling in the blanks. So it's also in Stern's telling that we find out that there's a gap, right? There's, in fact, several weeks between when Steve was brought to Erskine's lab and when he undergoes the super soldier procedure. And during those weeks, they, you know, they're running different tests on him and Erskine's working on perfecting the serum, you know, the final version of it. And then the story picks up again with, with the generals in FDR's office and Dr. Anderson coming in to announce that today is the day. And then we see the origin story unfold just as we expect it would. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Those are some serious differences there. Yeah. Uh, well, they're they're not so much differences, right, Rick? They're they're just sort of adding adding more details all yeah. over time and making right. the story more complex. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and you know what? I I wonder too that um, people who are listening who who aren't familiar with the comic book origins and they just know the movie, mm-hmm. right? The Captain America, the First Avenger, and they're like, well, no, that's it's not how it played out. And, and so, you know, hey, we're strictly going over the comic books, the source material, uh, the stuff that came well before the movie ever did. Um, but, but it's interesting with the mind's eye to, to kind of see all of these things that you, you uncovered or, or, or letting the listeners know, you know, the, the writers of that movie you know, probably did the same thing and kind of like picking and choosing, like what makes sense? What, you know, what, where can we do? Oh, you know, he's, he's a kid from Brooklyn, you know, so let's make sure we do this. And um, so it's interesting to see all the different, uh, different writers get a hold of this. Right. Right. You know, of course, you know, many writers, I mean, they're limited to what a page or two to try to tell this origin story. So there's not a lot of room to, to go into a lot of detail. So, you know, we should be really grateful for, for those, those particular uh, writers who, uh, who had a whole issue to really sort of, or half an issue to explore, you know, these origin stories and provide that level of additional detail. Yes. Yep. All right. So, uh, Hey, if you thought we were doing a top 10 list, it's bonus time. Cause we got number 11 here. <laughs> Number 11. So, all right, time to stump you. Was Steve the only candidate for Operation Rebirth? Yeah, well, I don't think so, Rick. I think, you know, time has has told us uh, that, uh, now it's an interesting question, right? But I think we've learned that um, it wasn't addressed early on, right? It wasn't addressed in the Golden Age tellings of the origin. It certainly wasn't addressed in the Silver Age. It wasn't even addressed in the Bronze Age. Um, whether or not there were other candidates in the running uh, for the super soldier form. We assumed that probably there was, right? And it could, they couldn't have put all their, all their eggs in one basket with, uh, with Steve Rogers. But um, I think if I'm not mistaken, the first time, and this is kind of a wacky uh, story that maybe a lot of folks aren't familiar with, but the first time that we hear about other candidates that might have been considered for Operation Rebirth before Steve Rogers. Now we know plenty after, you know, they tried to, you know, come up with a formula and tried to reproduce it and use it on other folks. But before mm-hmm. Steve Rogers was in volume two of Marvel superheroes issue number three. And that was published in 1990. Have you read that Rick? Probably it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So in that story, we read that uh, Dominic fortune was initially recruited by general Phillips, 
but eventually he gets rejected by FDR. And of course, you know, there, it tells this whole story where this, uh, you know, man, uh, soldier of fortune, Dominic, Don, Don, you know, a spy hunter, uh, well-known, you know, kind of a celebrity, you know, crime fighter. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, wanted him to be the first super soldier. Other folks were complaining about the fact that he was Jewish and he had sort of, uh, he had a gambling habit. He liked to drink. He had some unsavory relationships. And so when this came to light, FDR pulled the plug on Dominic Fortune. Mm-hmm. And it's shortly after that, that we see General Phillips showing up at the uh, medical screening at the recruiting office and seeing Steve Rogers and thinking to himself, I'm going to let my instinct guide me. And he picks Steve Rogers out of the line. And that's mm-hmm. how we get Steve Rogers. It's a great, it's a great story with a lot of sort of background information of what happened before Steve Rogers got picked. But that's the first retelling of the origin in which they suggest that perhaps somebody else might've been in line before Steve Rogers. And of course we know, as I mentioned earlier, the Clinton McIntyre issue, right? Uh, that was, of course, in, in Captain America Annual 2000, but also it was it begun to be addressed in uh, that same year in Captain America uh, 28, Volume 3. So this protocide story. Now, a little bit of a caveat, right? Because uh, Clinton McIntyre, who was not a good dude, did not actually get the super soldier serum from Dr. Erskine. Right. There was a, I think it was Maxwell Saunders, another general who wanted to try out the, the formula and have his own super soldier uh, at his beck and call. And so he grabbed an imperfected version uh, and tried it on McIntyre. And, and McIntyre, of course, uh, didn't uh, tolerate the, the serum very well and gets put into a deep sleep and eventually awoken by AIM. And that's how we get protocide. Mm-hmm. So great story. Very interesting story. Definitely worth checking out. Um, But I think the most interesting sort of exploration of um, this idea that there might have been other candidates was in The Adventures of Captain America. Do you remember that miniseries, Rick? Oh, yeah, I love that. That's one of my all-time favorite artists, Kevin McGuire. was the uh, the penciler. Then we had Joe Rubenstein. Uh, It was written by um, uh, Fabian Nicia. Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So if you remember uh, in, in issue one of that, I think it was four, four issues of that miniseries, issue one, it talks about how there are four candidates in the running, right? And they, they're all sort of recruited and brought to a training facility and they're screened. And for a variety of different reasons and mishaps, uh, three of them get washed out. And Steve Rogers is, uh, is the last one, the last one standing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's a great that's a great miniseries for another reason. Uh, one of the sort of one of the candidates for Agent R for um, for X-13 has always been this uh, Lieutenant Cynthia Glass. I think, you know, she's definitely a dark horse. I think it's def- definitely probably Betty Ross. But Cynthia Glass is an interesting character, been described uh, uh, by Steve Rogers as the first love he ever lost. And his relationship with this Cynthia Glass, who turns out to be, spoiler alert, a Nazi agent, uh, is explored in that first issue of The Adventures of Captain America. And then we learn a lot more about her later on in the Steve Rogers Super Soldier miniseries as well. So if you haven't read that, check that out because it gives some great backstory. All right. So interesting stuff. Um, Adventures of Captain America, that four issue miniseries that came out uh, in 1991. I think it's uh, when it started. Um, 
was wasn't that for a while not considered canon because it wasn't part of the Marvel 616 universe. Mm. But I think in recent times, it has been considered to be part of the 616 universe. Do you, is that, does that ring a bell with you or? It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't. I I don't know if it's considered 616 or not. That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah. If anybody knows, uh, please leave a comment in the Facebook group or, or uh, ping me or, leave a voice message. Uh, Cause I, I'm really curious um, if uh, adventures of Captain America is considered Canon or not. I've always thought that it wasn't. Hmm, interesting. Well, Rick, I, I do want to close. I, there's, there's one more, I think that needs to be addressed. Right. So oh. I did, me- I did mention uh, the Steve Rogers, super soldier miniseries. I think it's like four issues, right. Uh, hang on 2010, I think. And so the first issue of that book, uh, it talks about a guy by the name of Tyler Paxton. Uh, And it turns out that Tyler Paxton was another candidate in waiting along with Steve Rogers to to undergo the super soldier transformation. Uh, And then of course Erskine was killed and Tyler Paxton never got the chance. But in that story, uh, Steve Rogers, super soldier number one, Paxton goes on to marry Erskine's estranged daughter and they have a son. And that son uh, is featured in, um, uh, in, in that storyline. So it's a, so, so we have, you know, Clinton McIntyre, we've got Tyler Paxton, we've got the three other candidates from the adventures of, of Captain America. Um, and so we don't see any of those right in the silver age and the golden age and the bronze yeah. age, it's only mm-hmm. later on that we get those embellishments. But again, it kind of makes the story more interesting, right? Yes, it really does. You know, anytime we can get more, more, more details, more story uh, on Steve Rogers and his background is, is good for me. All right. So let's get to the last ones, right? So we've, we've, this is our top, 12 Captain America origin retcons slash embellishments. We've talked about uh, the serum. We've talked about the name of the, the, the project rebirth. We talked about uh, who were the, the people involved, whether who was in charge, who was a scientist, who were the other people there, uh, all these different changes uh, over the years or embellishments over the years. But you know what we really haven't talked about yet, Bob? And that's a, an integral part of Steve Rogers. He even sometimes refers to it as, you know, his, like a, an appendage, like his own left arm. And that is his shield. Uh, so shield yeah. Where did Steve get his round shield? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question, Rick. So, uh, you know, we all know, right, that the president gave it to him, right? But when did that happen, Rick? So let's go back in time a little bit, right? So we all know that Captain America began his adventures in Captain America Comics number one with that heater shield, right? Um, But after the first four adventures in that book, he switched in issue two to the now standard circular shield. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. And we also know why, right? I mean, in the real world, why the decision was made at the time to head off a potential lawsuit over similarities to the shield, another superhero at that time that had a similar look, 
um, that was being uh, published in Pep Comics and had been for the previous year. Yeah, he was so, a very patriotic hero as well. Yeah, right. And he had that sort of shield on the front of his his uniform that looked a lot like Cap's heater shield. So, so starting with issue two of Captain America Comics, we thereafter see Cap equipped with the round shield. And, and a slightly, I don't know if you go back and you look at the difference between Cap America Comics number one and number two, his uniform looks uh, slightly different, a slight mm-hmm. redesign and the cowl and, and some other elements. But no explanation is ever given during the Golden Age run as to why either switch ever occurred. Now, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you know, comic book readers back then were a little bit more easygoing, you know, and they weren't sitting around the soda shop like, uh, like you know, those folks in the 1970s that you just, you know, you talked about mm-hmm. or, or us on Facebook, you know, arguing over the, the nitinoidal details, you know, maybe they were just like, okay, well, a different uniform, whatever. But, um, you know, it was never, ever addressed or explained in any way. So when, when the Tales of Suspense, uh, 64 and 65, you remember those, Rick, those were, they sort of retold some of Cap's golden age uh, stories, um, mm-hmm. right? Both of them feature the round shield instead of the heater shield that was actually used in the original golden age stories. And again, no explanation is given for, for the change. Um, and then in, in, uh, in Tales of Spent 63, when we see the origin story and in Captain America 109, when we see the origin retelling, the heater shield is never, ever shown. Mm-hmm. It's not even mentioned. Nor is it shown in the flashbacks in issue 121, and it's not shown in, uh, in 176. It's not even shown in Giant Size Invaders, number one, which, uh, which is a big surprise. It finally makes a very brief appearance in Captain America 215, but it's only in a very brief sort of visual, and it's not even sort of uh, you know, explained why the switch was made. So again, who, who comes to the rescue and fills in the gap for us? Roger Stern. Roger Stern. In issue 255, he finally addresses this mystery. And he explains that after a handful of domestic missions, Cap was summoned to the Oval Office to meet with the president himself. And Cap, by then, is sporting this this new uniform, uh, which he explains has been, uh, you know, has this one-piece cowl instead of that that sort of cap that covered half his head. And this new cowl was made with uh, a duraluminum chainmail that that serves to protect his neck uh, so that's a change that it, he explains to fdr why he you know, his uniform is slightly different so that's that's an important right so this covers why the uniform is different from captain america comics to captain and uh, captain america comics number two but it's also in this meeting where fdr gives cap the iconic saucer shield explaining that it has been constructed of a metal with incredible properties resulting from a metallurgical accident. Okay. What accident? What accident? One that can't be duplicated, Rick. You said a metallurgical? A metallurgical? Am I, am, I, am I mispronouncing? I don't know that do word. I, the, <laughs> I just thought you were I, making it up. Do I have the uh, accente on the wrong uh, syllable? syllable? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, we learn right uh, uh, later in Captain America 303 who the metallurgist was, right? Dr. Myron McClain. You're just making words up now. <laughs> right? Remember, McClain is kidnapped by Obadiah Stane, 
Uh, oh, and, yeah. you know, Batroc and Machete, you know, they, oh, they, yeah. they steal Cap Shield and they bring it to Stain and he's trying to get McLean to like duplicate the accident. And, and of course, Stain can't. So that's that's when we, we get an explanation, right? The FDR gave Cap the round shield in the Oval Office after his first uh, two or three missions. So um, that's something that's never addressed in any of the previous origin retelling. So again, I think it's just really fascinating that it's something we just take for granted now, right? But that's an embellishment, an accretion, as I said earlier, to the mythos. Uh, but it's one that that makes the story much more interesting. Uh, well, you know what, Bob, kudos to you. You have made all of this a lot more interesting. I, I want to say uh, well done, a lot of research, and it was a labor of love. Um, putting up uh, those all-nighters, you know, and uh, calling in sick to work. Um, I hope they're they're not listening. Um, But yeah, it was, um, it was impressive. Uh, I I wasn't, I I knew there were differences. I knew there were, you know, little, little idiosyncrasies, little changes, things like that. But, uh, you know, you, you, you spelled it out. And so I got to say, kudos to you. Well, thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. You know, it was definitely a lot of fun going back and, and reading some of the uh, some of the earlier retellings, particularly some of the Golden Age ones. Right? I don't normally read like Captain America Comics fifty nine or Young Men twenty four, and but you know, it's nice to go back every now and again and uh, and refresh uh, refresh yourself with some of those uh, older ones or some of those flashback retellings that weren't as complete as. Uh, as Stern's 255. But again, you know, we, we owe, I think, as Cap fans, a, a big debt of gratitude to Roger Stern for building on the edifice of Captain America and giving us a much more complex and sophisticated origin story that now is, uh, according to the Marvel, you know, indexes and Marvel Saga and, you know, the uh, uh, sort of the other handbooks of the Marvel Universe is considered canonical. Yes. Yep. Fantastic. We'll have to cover... Uh, all of these issues that you covered, uh, you know, at some point in the podcast, uh, upcoming episodes, we'll, we'll have to get to the Captain America 255, the, the, the 176, the, the 109, the giant size invaders, number one. Mm-hmm. I know we've, we've had some, we've had some, uh, some requests for some yeah, golden yeah. age Captain America too. So, all right. So keep a, keep a listen, keep an ear out. Uh, keep an eye out when we post the um, the uh, the calendar, the podcast calendar. We we will get to. I promise you, this fall, we will get to Captain America Comics number one, and we will get to an Invader story too. Ooh, nice! Right? Nice. All right. All right. Uh, anything else, Bob? Any other uh, tidbits? Uh, any other? last words no i don't think so rick uh i think it's time uh, to grab a beer all right well that sounds good to me all right well he's bob lucius i'm rick Verbonis, and you've been listening to another episode of the captain america comic book fans podcast 